We're glad you're here. Uh, also, just want to say that for us as a church, if this is your church home, um, we hope that, that you help us in creating a, a very hospitable, hospitable environment that welcomes people uh, just as they are. Because we want to model Jesus and how he first and foremost welcomed us just as we are um, and then changed our lives. So we, uh, we're glad you're here. If this is your home church or your guest, regardless, we want to uh, join together and we want to focus on Christ. That's our hope here this morning more than anything else. So as Max said, if you have a Bible with you, uh, let's open them up and let's go to 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning. Today we hit kind of the, the midway point in our study through 1 Peter. So we're taking the entire fall and we're focusing on uh, this letter that he wrote. And it's really interesting because in the middle of this letter, Peter chooses to address two groups of people that, man, when it, they're probably two groups of people that society didn't really care about. And they're two groups of people that we're certainly not like on the higher end of society. Uh, they, the, these are not, if you were in the first century trying to network with people, build a business, uh, trying to sell something, trying to um, form and build something up, these are probably not the people that you're reaching out to. There are two groups of people that were kind of on the edges of society. They, they, they're not people that, you would look at and go, man, these are prominent people. We, I want to be around them. One group we addressed last week, and we learned from them. It was servants. Servants. They were slaves living in the first century. They were domestic slaves. And it's really interesting because what Peter said to them, he said, look, you play a prominent role in God's gospel mission to this world. And can you imagine if you were a servant living in the first century under a corrupt Roman government and you received this letter that's in our Bibles and you were reading it and all of a sudden the first group of people that is addressed in this letter was you. Nobody, with, nobody in, in culture thought about you. People used and abused you. And yet, here in God's word was a letter that was sent to you saying, God sees you. God notices you. God loves you. You belong to him because of the gospel. You would have thought, wow, this is amazing. And the fact that, whoa, we play a role in God's mission to this broken world, that's incredible. Now today, he addresses a second group of people. And it's also a group that, culture probably didn't really care about. It was women who were married to unbelieving husbands. Women who were married to unbelieving husbands. So now, probably the majority of us in this room, you're probably not married to a non-believer. Some of you may be, and this is going to be very relevant. But for those of you who are you're like, uh, A, I'm not married, or B, I, I am married, I'm, I'm married to a believer, this is great, so I can take the Sunday off, Right? Here, in about three minutes from now, I have a question for you that I think is going to make this passage relevant and help us understand this passage is absolutely relevant to every one of us in this room this morning. 
So let's dig into the passage, and then we'll ask the question together. Chapter 3, starting out in verse 1, 1 through 4, together. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one, without a word, by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. So this is really interesting here because he starts out with this section saying likewise and he's connecting actually his addressing of servants and slaves with his now addressing of women who were married to husbands who were not believers in Christ. So it's real interesting, though, like, how do we know these, are, these men did not know Jesus? Well, again, you notice there, it says that some do not obey the word. They may be one. Well, that thought of obeying the word is not solely this section Irrelevant to this section in 1 Peter. Peter actually back in chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, had already addressed non-believers in the same manner. Look back at chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Here he says, he's talking about non-believers in Christ, and here it is, their relationship with Jesus, or their association, or their belief in Jesus. He says in verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. So he's speaking now to believers, but for those who do not believe, he's addressing non-Christians, the stone that the builders rejected, the stone he's talking about is Jesus, has become the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. So he's saying that those who do not believe in Jesus, who he is, what he came to accomplish, he actually becomes a, stump, a stumbling block and offensive to those who do not believe. And then he says, they, non-believers, stumble because they disobey the word. There it is. That was found in this passage, talking to wives who are married to men who disobey the word, meaning they were not believers. If you skip over to chapter 4, verse 17... A very similar passage, and it helps us to understand the unbelief in Jesus here with, with these men. Verse 17, Peter says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So Peter, as he addresses these women... He addresses their relationship that they have being married to men who are not believers, who do not obey the word of God, who do not obey the gospel of God. That was Peter's way of saying they don't believe in the gospel. So when we say gospel, what are we talking about? We're not talking about a style of music. We're talking about the life of Jesus, the perfect life of Christ that he lived 
that you and I on our best day could not live out. We couldn't even come close to that. We're talking that he lived in perfection for us, but we're also talking that ultimately he went to the cross. And when he was nailed to that cross, that Roman cross, that as he was nailed to it, he literally was exchanging his perfect life that he lived for your imperfect, broken, sinful life. He took that on. It's called imputed righteousness. He took his righteousness, put it on you, and he took your shame, your guilt, your sin, he took it on himself. And on that cross, through the cross, he adopts us into his family. He, through that cross, brings us into his life to give us abundant life now, in this moment, but also to give us abundant life for all of eternity because he rose from the dead. The gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our redemption. And for these men here, I hope you just feel the gravity and the weight of this. These women were married to these men who did not believe in any of what I just shared with you. They didn't believe that Jesus lived a pure life on their behalf. They didn't believe that Jesus ultimately died on the cross, and they certainly did not believe that he rose from the dead. East Texans, we have to understand, the men that are spoken of here in this passage, it's not speaking of men who just don't go to church. We're talking about men who denied the power of Jesus and who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and what Jesus came to accomplish. They looked at the cross and they scoffed at it and they said, yeah, whatever, he was a criminal, he belonged on that cross. And they certainly did not understand what put Jesus on the cross. It reminds me of a, a quote from John Stott, and Stott put it this way, about the cross and our understanding of the gospel. He said, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. These women were married to men who had no clue that their, their sin, their shame, their brokenness put Jesus on that cross. Again, do you feel the weight of the set of circumstances these women were in now? They knew that Jesus went to the cross for them. They knew that their sin put him on that cross and they lived day in and day out with a man who completely denied that. Again, some of you here, some of you women, you, you know this. This is your life. You're married to an unbelieving husband. I also recognize the majority of us in this room, you're, you're not married to an unbelieving husband. So here's the question for us all this morning. The question is simply this. What can we learn from the women in this passage? What can we learn from the women in this passage? There is incredible depth in this passage, and it's relevant to all of us. I will say this. For me as a man, it's a joy to learn from these women. It is an absolute joy to learn from these women. This is a great passage. Men, I hope for you this morning, it's a joy for you to learn from these women. These women that 2,000 years ago were faithfully following Jesus, Peter has something to say to them about what their goal is in their marriage now and what the outcome, hopefully, Lord willing, will be 
Men, I hope it's a joy for you to learn from them. Women who are married to believing husbands, I hope it's a joy for you to learn from these women. Women who are married to unbelieving husbands, this is going to be relevant for you, and I hope it's a joy for you to learn from them. And then a giant population in this room right now, those who are not married, let's call it what it is, all right? We love this. We love that you're here. You're not lesser because you're not married. But you have something to learn from these women. They're going to be a challenge to us this morning. So let's learn from them this morning, church. Let's learn from them. Look back at this passage together. Starting out back in verse 1. Peter gives the goal for these women. The goal. He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they're not believers, there it is again, here's the key part, they may be, help me out, they may be what? One. They may be one. You, you would win them. Win them to, to what? Win them to Christ. Obviously, Christ is the one that has the power to save them, but you would do everything you could to point them to Jesus. So Peter says, that's the goal for these wives. Hard situation. Day in, day out, living with these men. Yet, he says, the goal here is to win them to Christ. So the question for us this morning becomes, how? Like how? How, how does he encourage them to win them to Christ? He gives two ways this morning. Here's the first. Let's look back at verse two, or excuse me, verse one. Here's the first one. That they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Again, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their lives. So here's the first how of winning their unbelieving husbands. Here it is on the screen. The unbelieving husband may be one without a word. What, is that? what does this mean then? For Peter to say, hope that your husband is one to Christ without you ever speaking a word. Well, that's kind of weird, isn't it? And maybe for some of us right now, we're thinking, yeah, I think there was like an, an old dead guy in the history of the church somewhere down the road that said something like this, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Have you guys heard that before? Oftentimes it's associated with St. Francis of Assisi. Here's the problem. Um, there's no documentation that St. Francis of Assisi actually ever said that. Now, what could have happened, he could have said something similar and then it kind of got formulated maybe to this, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Maybe, or maybe he's like C.S. Lewis. We love to quote C.S. Lewis about and share C.S. Lewis quotes oftentimes that he never actually said. Um, I may be guilty of that as well, okay? I, I've heard this, and I, I get the heartbeat behind it, and part of it I agree with. Because what this statement says, whoever it came from, it's emphasizing, hey, model the gospel. 
As I said earlier, we want to be a hospitable church. Romans 15, welcome those in the same way that Christ has welcomed you. That's one small way we model the gospel here, by welcoming all. It's great. Come. Come to church. We want this to be a welcoming place. So yes, model the gospel. I, I, I get that point in that statement, but I would totally disagree with the backside of it. Use words when necessary because words are absolutely necessary in proclaiming the gospel. So it's a perfect marriage between us as believers modeling the gospel of Jesus, but we also have to open up our mouth at times and articulate the gospel. We have to articulate the gospel. So was Peter simply saying, okay, wives, don't speak a word. Don't open up your mouth. When you're at the kitchen table, don't share about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Don't, don't say that. Just simply model it. He was certainly emphasizing modeling it, but he was not condoning never speaking and articulating the gospel. I believe this is what Peter was saying. Wives, let your lives model Jesus, but when you articulate and speak the gospel, you proclaim it, you break it down for your husband, don't do it in a shameful way to where you just shame him. Don't do it in a way that's just nagging at him. Don't belittle him for his lack of faith. Don't berate him because he doesn't understand the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Do this in a graceful way, a respectful way, he said. Model it, but then open up your mouth and share it in a way, hoping to win him to Christ. So it's really interesting because this hits home with me personally. I've shared this many a times here um, that I became a believer when I was a sophomore in high school. There's a guy named Craig who for two and a half years developed a relationship with me. He was a young adult, moved to our hometown. He was on staff with a parachurch ministry called K-Life. And Craig built a relationship with me through playing basketball. He invited me to be a part of a Bible study that I had no interest in being a part of, but he brought donuts, so I attended it. And he just developed a relationship with me again for two and a half years. And he kept sharing the gospel with me. I remember that sophomore year of high school. Again, I'm not a believer yet. One Sunday, Craig called my house. I didn't say he texted me. He didn't call my cell phone. This is going to date me, right? He called my house, and there was a cord plugged into our phone. Some of you guys have no clue what I'm talking about right now. He called our house, and he said, hey, um, I'm getting a group of guys together. We're going we're gonna to play some hoops actually down at the elementary school close to your house. You want to come join us? I was like, yeah, absolutely. I live two blocks away from my elementary school. And so I, I walk out of my house. I'm walking those two blocks. Again, here, this is going to date me. I'm listening to my Sony Walkman. Does anybody have a clue what I'm talking about right now? So, yeah, thank you for the five people that raised your hands. Thank you. I feel really, really affirmed at this point. So I'm, I'm walking, listening to my Sony Walkman, which is playing not a CD, but a cassette tape. If you don't know what that is, Google it. Here we go. So walking down those two blocks, 
Again, pre-Jesus day right here for me, okay? Listening to a tape of a rap group called, I'm going to admit it to you guys, here it is, Two Live Crew. Don't let your kids listen to it, okay? It's awful. It's trash. But I'm li- I'm, this is pre-Jesus days for me. I'm listening to this. The language is awful in it. The message was awful. I was putting that straight into my head. But I'm walking down to play basketball with a youth pastor. So put that all together. I walk up to the basketball court. I remember I put my walk. I remember exactly where I put my walkman down on the ground. I turned and I went to warm up. So I'm taking some shots. About five minutes later, I look over and there's Craig, this young adult guy working for a youth ministry in town. He's a believer. He had been sharing the gospel with me. I look over to him. He's sitting down, and guess what he has on and what he's listening to? If you guys have forgot what it's called, it's called a Walkman. He's listening to my Walkman, and he's listening to Two Live Crew. You guys think I, uh, my first thought was, oh, this is, I hope he loves that song. No, my first thought was, oh, my gosh. And for me, as a non-believer in that moment, the shame... We talk about that a lot. It was real. In that moment, the guilt, like I knew. I knew that was trash. I know I shouldn't be listening to that. I was trying to hide it. I didn't want Craig to hear it. Now I'm totally exposed. And now my first thought is, what's he going to say to me? He's probably going to berate me about this, condemn me. And guess what, guys? He never said a thing to me. Some of you guys are like, well, he should have, right? But he all, you know what he understood? He understood I wasn't a believer. So although he didn't say anything in that moment, guess what he kept doing over the next several weeks? Playing basketball with me, loving me, and sharing the gospel with me. He kept doing it. He didn't toss me aside and say, oh my gosh, this guy is absolutely hopeless. No, he knew I was lost. He knew I, I had no clue who Jesus was. And he just kept sharing the gospel with me. And guess what happened weeks after that? Spring break. Jesus opened up the eyes of my heart and I was saved. I was redeemed. I was adopted. I was brought into the life of Christ in that moment. And so I look back And Craig, in a lot of ways, modeled what Peter had encouraged these women to do was, keep loving them. Keep sharing truth with them. Keep modeling Jesus for them. Let them see how Jesus has changed you. Don't belittle them. Don't shame them. But don't be silent. Don't be silent. The first how, model Jesus, model Jesus. Secondly, he he gives another how. Skip down to verse three. He says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear This next line is powerful. 
But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. I would underline that. Let your beauty be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very, help me out, very what? It's precious. So secondly, the second how of winning these unbelieving husbands, Peter says this, the unbelieving husband may be one with internal beauty, internal beauty. Did you notice here, he says, let your exter- or do not let your external beauty adorning. Don't let it be a braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry and the clothing that you wear. He says there's actually a progression here, okay? That when Jesus, in verse 4, captures a woman's heart, he begins to transform her from the inward out, from the inside out. We should write a worship song called that, all right? He says that Jesus grabs her heart and begins to transform her, and he actually, what does he do, though? There's a progression. When Jesus captures her heart, he begins to transform and create imperishable beauty that will lead to a spirit about her that is gentle and that is quiet. We'll unpack what that means here in just a moment, okay? And he proclaims, this is so cool, that this transformation of a woman is actually something very, very, very precious in God's sight. Verse 4 is unbelievable, church. So what, what does this mean about the whole braiding of hair thing and the jewelry thing and the clothing thing? Like, what are we talking about? Is it simply saying, well, you should not braid your hair. Some of you ladies are like, oh my gosh, I braided my hair this morning. Some of you guys, you're taking off jewelry right now, like putting it under the seat. Is that what he's talking about? No. I think what Peter's simply saying, ladies, ladies, your beauty is from the inside out. And even your external beauty, which is awesome, is really not the point. I hope you have a, had a dad who told you you're beautiful. I hope you, if you're married, you have a husband that tells you daily you're beautiful. But I hope most of all, you know that your true beauty is found in Christ. And it's an internal beauty that is developed by Jesus. And here's the key that Peter is proclaiming to these ladies. The world can, you can do all kinds of things, and the world can do all kinds of things that make you beautiful outwardly. But you know what the world can't do? They can't create a beauty inwardly. Only Jesus can do that. And Peter is saying, look, that is actually a testimony to your unbelieving husband that the very thing the world cannot do Jesus can do. And the only answer to a question from an unbelieving husband where the unbelieving husband says, what's different about you? The only answer is Jesus. Because he's the one that is doing something internally in me and he's creating a beauty that's imperishable. 
He's creating a spirit about me that really, a, a gentle, quiet spirit, really is a grace about that woman. And she carries herself with a grace that the world doesn't know. I love the way that John Piper put it, that anything the world can do is no clear witness as to what God can do. And what God can do is transform a woman from the inside out. It's incredible. It's so weird to me that in the church, when this passage has been proclaimed and preached, it's controversial, which I go, I don't know how it is. Controversial. Unless it's brought to a point of of legalism, because this is awesome. He's saying Jesus changes a woman internally. But we hear a gentle and quiet spirit, and, and for some, with, with women would say, well, does that just mean I have to be quiet and never say anything? Like, no, it's a grace about you. And I would say also, read the rest of your Bible and what God proclaims about women. Later on in this passage, down in verse 6, he says, another evidence that you're changed by Jesus is the fact that you walk not frightened by things of this world, but you walk fearless. If you rewind and go back to your Old Testament, Proverbs 31, verses 17 and 25, speak to the strength of a woman and the dignity of a woman. Think about Proverbs 31, verse 17. She dresses herself with, help me out with what? Strength. There you go, ladies. And makes her arms strong. So keep working out, okay? Just kidding. I don't, I, that's not the point of that verse. She is internally strong. And then you go down to verse 25, and it says about her, what God develops within her, strength and dignity. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. Coming up, Kara and I will celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. I can honestly tell you guys that I stand here today more in awe of her internal beauty than I ever have before. That she truly, because of Jesus, is beautiful from the inside out. And we can say, well, she had certain circumstances in her family, and her family, she came from a great family. It's awesome. That family did not make her beautiful from the inside out. Well, she's really done some things in life. That's great. Jesus made her beautiful and is changing her and her beauty from the inside out. In the words of Billy Joel, she's got a way about her. Billy Joel says, I don't know what it is. I say, I do know what it is. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So here's my conclusion this morning. Did you notice that last line of verse 4? This is something that is very precious in God's sight. Internal beauty that is a witness to Jesus. Very precious. Think about it. 
This was written 2,000 years ago. This letter in your Bible was written 2,000 years ago. And the gap between when it was written until where we stand today in 2021, that's a long time. And guess what is still uncommon in our culture? Beauty from the inside out. You know what's still uncommon probably even in the church today? And this breaks my heart to say it. Beauty from the inside out. That's still uncommon. So I want to end it this way. Men, here's a question for you this morning and myself. Men, do we affirm this beauty that God has proclaimed to be precious in his sight? Like seriously, men, do you and I, do we as men, no matter if, if, if you're a junior high student or you're an empty nester or somewhere in between, men, do we affirm the very beauty that God proclaim to be precious to him or are we just simply molding into this world and affirming what the world affirms fellas we're called to affirm what God has deemed as precious in his eyes husbands I hope you're doing it with your wife I hope you're, you're, you're simply looking at her and saying I affirm your inward beauty I hope you do that Affirm her inward beauty. Ladies, question for you. Do you seek to grow in this internal beauty that God has defined as precious in his sight? Ladies, are you seeking to grow in this internal beauty? Is that where you find your value, your worth, in Christ. Married couples. Married couples, is your marriage currently pointing others to Jesus? I guarantee you that you would have asked one of these ladies in this passage 2,000 years ago, would you want to be married to a man who loves Jesus? They would have said, absolutely. They, want, they would have wanted what you currently have. But they sought to want, win their husband to Christ. Now that you're married to a believing husband, a believing wife, is your marriage seeking to win others to Christ? Wives who are married to unbelieving husbands, are you seeking to win your husband to Christ through your conduct and internal beauty? I hope this passage encourages you this morning. I hope you go back on your own and read it and study it. And that you would seek the same counsel that they received from God's word here. You would seek that and you would implement it and you would seek to win your husband to Christ. And lastly, those who are not married, is your dating life, your current dating life, glorifying Christ and reflecting Christ to the world around you? I think there is a giant misconception for those who are not married that 
it all will come together once you stand at the altar, you exchange some vows and rings. And all the married couples right now are like, yeah, no. <laughs> it's not the way it works. It starts now for you. Your dating relationships are currently reflecting what your future marriage will look like. So I ask you, is your dating life right now, is it glorifying Christ? Is it reflecting Christ to the world around you? You have a gospel mission even in dating right now. Church, I love that we can learn from these women in this passage. A group of people that society would have said, we don't even recognize them. And here's a group of women that God in Christ gives infinite value to and that we, 2,000 years later, have a chance to learn from and be about the same gospel mission that they were about. Let's pray together. Lord, what a, what a passage. We thank you for this passage. We pray that your spirit that lives in us would help us truly to grow in being about affirming, pursuing, rejoicing in the very thing that you said is precious in your sight. The internal beauty that only you can create, Jesus. Help us to value what you value. Help us to be about the things that you're about, God. And help us as spiritual exiles to walk in a very uncommon way, yet a way that is full of truth and grace, is full of you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name, Christ. Amen.